Vaccines are in the news. As the coronavirus ravages the world, causing untold damage to lives, communities and livelihoods, a glimmer of hope has come in the production of new vaccines. Here in the UK, for example, the government promises to immunise 14 million people by mid-February in the most severely affected categories. This breakthrough, however, has not been universally embraced. Theories abound across the internet on social media suggesting a number of reasons why vaccines are dangerous. It is an indictment of modern liberal democracies that fake news and alternative facts have gone mainstream and at a time of a global pandemic the consequences can be lethal. But this is not just a problem with the West. Many Muslim communities have a deep scepticism towards what some call Western medicine, pharmaceutical industries and expertise in general. It has got to the point that in some circles, preachers and activists develop pseudo-analysis stringing together a series of semi-truths and feel confident enough to pronounce a view without knowledge or reference to knowledge. This lamentable situation dangerously reduces the value of ilm, of knowledge, and the need to refer to those who know when we don't, and have turned laymen into sages. Of course, there are times when one must question what experts are telling us. The experts were telling us that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, when in reality expertise was subverted for militaristic ends. The other extreme is to live as a gullible human being, unaware and willing to soak up anything that is brought our way. We certainly suffer from these two ailments. So how should we think about vaccines? Well, the first step is to consult a trustworthy expert so we can make an informed decision. And we have such a person on The Thinking Muslim today. Dr. Hisham Abdullah has a lifetime's work looking at vaccines and research. He holds a degree in pharmacy and a doctorate in pharmaceutical sciences and clinical research. He started his career as a scientist at the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and he has since then worked on various pharmaceutical projects in industry. On top of that, Dr. Hisham has acquired qualifications in Islamic studies and has spent the past 30 years teaching usul al-fiqh, and is active in Islamic circles in the United States. Uh, Dr. Hisham Abdullah, it's wonderful to have you with us today on the Thinking Muslim podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Now, Dr. Hisham, you're a Muslim and a believer, and some Muslims would probably disapprove of your profession. How would you reconcile your commitment to Islam and working for the pharmaceutical industry? Um, yeah, sure. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala ali wa sahbihi wa man wala. As we learn from, from our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is that seeking cure for diseases or seeking treatment for diseases is a fard, it's an obligation. And it is what the uh, scholars would say, a fard kifaya. So meaning it's a community obligation. Now, not everybody should be in research to try to find drugs and and, and, and remedies and treatments, but some people have to do it. And that comes from the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, oh servants of Allah, you have to seek uh, um, treatment for your disease because Allah has never created a disease un- unless he also created a cure for it, except for senility or, you know, getting old and eventually die. 
So um, seeking this seeking cures is is an obligation. Some people have to do it, and if we don't do it, then the entire humanity is at fault and and, and could be you know held accountable uh, before Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Forgive me, Doctor Hisham. Uh, I think some would suggest that yes, of course, it's uh, it's a part to uh, to seek treatment and to uh, establish uh, good medical care, but uh, the pharmaceutical industry is. Uh, you know, it's seen by many to be uh, quite an unsavory side of the modern capitalist system. So, as the the you know the, the, the as the world developed and as capitalism became more of the the the, the prevalent system in the so-called advanced countries, um, also so this pharmaceutical industry that works to produce drugs and and, and treatments devices and so on and so forth was born out of capitalism and therefore. It was born as and 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 developed as a for-profit um, enterprise, and if you look around now, this is pretty much the only viable model that is actually producing meaningful therapies. So one would would maybe hope for and 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 maybe even work to produce a another model, which is a non-profit model where actually. You know, you use the, the the resources from the community, from through taxes and so on and so forth, to produce. You know, to establish nonprofits and to actually have the drug development happening in this nonprofit environment. This does not exist. This is more of a of a dream now than than a, a, a any kind of reality. It really there are foundations, there are nonprofit, there are uh, foundations that uh, seek to develop. Uh, drugs, especially for underprivileged and poor, um, uh, you know, communities and, you know, like malaria and schistosomiasis and tuberculosis and so on. Uh, but these are really few and far between. So the, the as, as an individual, you can either uh, choose to boycott the system and say, oh, no, this is, you know, all for profit, etc. And therefore it's bad. And or you can you know, choose to uh, um, work for it and, and, and within it and actually work, work within the science part of it and try to help humanity by working through uh, um, this existing uh, platform and, and, and produce remedies for, for serious diseases. So I chose the second. I know I've called you here to talk about vaccines, but I'm really interested from an American's perspective what your view is about a national health service. And uh, you know, we have an NHS here and uh, it has its strains. And and of course, you know, money is always a, a problem, uh, but it works pretty well. I mean, how would you uh, how would you fare the American system in comparison to our health service here in the UK? Yeah, yeah. So I hear and, and we deal with uh, the uh, when we deal with the MHRA, uh, we always have in, in, in mind, you know, what is NHS going to say about? This, this drug is it is it going to be seen as um, essential, and therefore you know they will reimburse for it or pay for it or not. So that's really, I mean, and and it, it's I, I like that. I'm I'm my my personal inclination. I want the the healthcare system definitely to be run by by uh, by by the government and to be actually by uh, you know taxpayers' money, so that we have a say in what happens as opposed to be a for-profit uh, industry, for the most part, of course. Uh, I've uh, invited you on the show today because you have an expertise in, in pharmaceuticals. And in and today, of course, uh, the world is discussing uh, the coronavirus and uh, these vaccines. So I want to explore 
for different vaccines and and how they may help in dealing with this uh, global pandemic. Now, I understand we have uh, a number of vaccines that are currently uh, being rolled out. We've got the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and and the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which um, the British regulator, the MHRA, has uh, passed uh, most recently. In fact, the AstraZeneca vaccine was passed just yesterday. But also we've got the Chinese and the Russian vaccines. And I, I understand that Turkey, for example, are purchasing these vaccines largely for uh, their domestic population. Um, and, and, you know, there, there, is a, there are controversies and confusion surrounding these vaccines. I mean, in your eyes, are these vaccines 100% safe? Well, nobody who works in this industry would make would ever say a hundred percent, right? Uh, definitely, that's an absolute statement that that we, as scientists, you know, we we really uh, shy away from. So, the what happened in the development of, of vaccines or any other pharmaceutical agents, there it's a there is a cumulative experience, a cumulative experience based on hypotheses and, and experiments and phases and so on and so forth. And what the regulators around the world, especially in the, in the, you know, in the Western world or the advanced world, you know, including like Japan and South Korea and so on and so forth, they have certain hurdles. You know? And the first hurdle is, is to be able to test something in humans after you test it in animals and in the lab. And then after you do all this long testing in humans, then the second hurdle is like, okay, we have determined now that there is kind of a, you know, uh, for, 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 for all intents and purposes, this, this agent seems to be safe and effective to be marketed. And therefore, then after testing in, you know, a couple of thousand people or a few thousand people, or in, in, in case of a vaccine in like tens of thousands of people, then you say, Okay, we can we can get this agent on the market. Okay, have we covered every eventuality and all the rare occurrences of anything that could happen down the line with this medication or with this vaccine? That is hardly ever, I mean, I can say never, but I don't want to say, say hardly ever the case in any agent. When you go, there is always this post-marketing uh, um, you know, uh, registries and 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 uh, pharmacovigilance, they call them, they call that's the technical term. It's like when after the, after a drug is on the market that the company and the FDA still keep collecting evidence of adverse drug reactions or vaccines and I mean, like that and so on. So it is a cumulative experiment. Now, I think what I could vouch for is that or, or I could say that at least in, 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 in the US and in Europe, um, this, project, this process is very uh, transparent. You know, we have to even, you know, the, the review of, the, when the FDA reviews an application, they have to do that in public, you know, they have to publicize and, and make the, all the documents. Uh, if you can go now online and see what went into the FDA's, um, you know, review of, of the vaccine and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, I cannot say the same about Russia and China because uh, for China, uh, there is one of their major vaccines is caused by uh, Sinopharm. There's no public data available, at least last I checked, you know, a few, a few days ago. There's no public data available, but that does not mean, again, you know, to be, to be fair, that does not mean that they are like all secretive and stuff. So if China wants to 
uh, um, sell their vaccine to Turkey or some other government, they will have to disclose all the information um, to, to the government. Maybe they didn't publish it, but it's still, I'm sure there are some checks and balances there, you know, for uh, a government like the government of Turkey and, and others. So is it, so it's like safe enough and effective so that it, the, the benefit outweighs the risk in the targeted in the target population. But I, but I would I would suppose that many uh, who have worries about the vaccine um, would argue that it's been rolled out at a at a lightning speed. I mean, it takes many years for a, a vaccine to pass uh, the regulatory stage. But I think the BioNTech vaccine, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was an idea in early March, late February, and. Um, uh, it was passed uh, within a few months of, of trials. And, and now, just two weeks back, my parents, alhamdulillah, they received the first dose of the vaccine. Um, that does strike me as being quite a quick process, a quick turnaround. I mean, can you comment on the speed? And has that, in any sense, compromised the efficacy of this vaccine? Sure. So let me first comment on the science, and then I'll comment on the process. Okay. Um, the first comment on the science is that the 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 let's take the BioNTech Pfizer as an example. This BioNTech Pfizer vaccine has two components. One which you would call the platform or the carrier of the vaccine that delivers the active ingredient of the vaccine to the cells, and the other component is the thing itself that triggers the immune response. So for BioNTech, as also for Moderna and for Oxford and all these, these platforms, they have been actually uh, worked on for, in case of BioNTech, um, at least 12 years or maybe you know 10 to 12 years since the inception of the company in 2008. For Moderna, it's an, a comparable amount of time for uh, the, 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 uh, the platform uh, that was used by Oxford and AstraZeneca is actually something that has been worked on for decades. So we have the vehicle ready, if you will. So what is the cargo that goes into the vehicle? And that is the, in the case of the, in the, of the Pfizer Moderna and or BioNTech Moderna, um, there's actually, for these two vaccines, it's called a messenger RNA. So you have the carrier, which in this case is like, you know, something that looks like an oil globule, but is infinitesimally small, if you will. And you put this messenger RNA into the, 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 uh, the, 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 these globules and let it and inject it so it gets into the cell. So the, uh, the mRNA was synthesized very recently after we discovered the uh, or scientists in China released the sequence of the virus, the gen genomic sequence, but the carrier has existed for years. And it so happened, and then, subhanAllah, I think it's part of the, 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 the divine plan that this actually, this timeline kind of merged together, that you have the, the vehicle is ready, and now you synthesize the cargo, okay, let's combine the both and make a vaccine. So that is the science. So it's not a new thing that, that these, these five, these, now, as far as the process is concerned, because it is a it is a for-profit uh, enterprise, companies make decisions to spend money based on information they generate. So, it, it in 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 an, under normal circumstances, the development of a of a drug or a vaccine is a sequential process. 
you do preclinical or you know testing in animals and you go into and into humans phase one followed by phase two followed by phase three and you know we can explain those if, if you wish um, and then you accumulate enough evidence and then you say oh this looks to be working let's ramp up the manufacturing so that we can do it so it's a sequential process now the government interfered like in or intervened here the government of germany gave maybe about a billion dollars to, to to buy and take i'm not really sure how much they gave um, but in the in in the, the range of like you know two three billion for the different vaccines to say we are going to help you to handle this financial risk by giving you all this load of money so that you can start ramping up your manufacturing even before you show efficacy and safety. So therefore the process got shrunk or the timeline got shrunk significantly. And finally on the timeline, which is kind of ironic is that because of the incompetence of, like I said, you know, these these, these vaccine trials need maybe 40, 50,000 people per trial or per, 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 per vaccine. Uh, because of the incompetence of the governments in, you know, US and in, in Britain, in, uh, in Brazil and other places, you actually have loads of patients, lo no, or volunteers, sorry, that people are scared, people want to volunteer because they, they see that uh, what's happening around them and people, you know, like you know, getting, getting sick and so on. So that also shrunk the part that you normally cannot control, right? You know, because you can open a clinical trial and nobody volunteers because nobody's scared. Nobody is like, you know, is interested in the vaccine. The people who are super interested because of the scare. So things actually, subhanAllah, and I mean, as a, as a Muslim, I think this is all kind of a divine plan because it is not kind of, it is a divine plan. Everything happens by Allah's plan. And this is how it happened. And that's why it's super fast. Uh, in, in, in drug development, we actually measure exposure by what's called patient years. So if you have 10,000 patients uh, exposed for a year, that's a, that's a, that's a 10,000 patient year. If you have 20,000 patients exposed for six months, that's also 10,000 patient years. But of course, you have to look at a, a minimum of duration. No, that's good. And, and so the worries about the speed by which this... Um, uh, the vaccines have been rolled out. Um, you know, you, you've you've very 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 clearly explained the shrunken process and and how, you know, uh, corners have not been cut. Uh, but uh, you, can, I can imagine in these uh, past six months of testing, you could only really work out the short term, maybe the short to medium term impacts of of the vaccine. But what about the the longer term impacts of the vaccine? I mean, how can you can you uh, conclude that the vaccine would not have any detrimental effects on a on a longer term basis? Um, you know, of of course, like like I mentioned before, it's a it's a cumulative process. So this vaccine, and again, this this vaccine, unlike some other drug that would be taken for life, this vaccine is one or two doses, and then after that, the body is left to you know clear this this extra you know lipids and proteins and 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 you left to you know with the immune system reacting and so on and so forth so the, the hypothesis should be that long term and again underlying hypothesis because again you know it's it's which cycle when, when you talk to scientists you have to show the data 
So while we are going to be, or, or the industry and the regulators are going to be collecting long-term um, long effects, long-term data, um, the hypothesis should be that this is, you know, you get it, if you, if, if you end up getting the vaccine and having an immunity for like 10 years, then, you know, you don't get re-exposed until 10 years later. So it really is, is going to be a, a, an important but kind of a daunting test as well. You know, if you, if you take the vaccine today and then, um, you know, five years, God forbid, may Allah protect us all, uh, five years later, you get an autoimmune disorder. Can you link that to the vaccine? I mean, I have to be, I have to be also very realistic about that, right? You know, if if you if someone develops, you know, an an, an an illness five or you know five years down the road, can how can you link it to the vaccine? So it, it's an imperfect process, but this is what we've got. And in your earlier answer, you you mentioned uh, the FDA in America, the regulators, the FDA, the MHRA here in the in the UK. Uh, there's a very good European regulator as regulatory body as well. And are these regulators sufficiently independent from a the government and b uh, the uh, the pharmaceutical firms? I mean, you know, in, in, you've worked for the FDA. Uh, are these regulators up? Um, you know, to, to standard. So in, 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 in the US, short of the commissioner of the FDA, commissioner of the FDA is nominated by the president and approved by the Senate. So it's a political appointment. Of course, they have traditionally been uh, physicians or physician scientists were with, with a very, you know, um, deep experience in um, in public health and as well as in, in drug development. But short of that person, everybody else in in the FDA is is recruited and and hired based on their credentials, scientifically, and based. Of course, there is a lot of checks and balances within the FDA. So any any kind of you know misgivings or 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 you know and. and quote unquote, malice that, that would be on part of, you know, the, the high officials and any high official in the FDA, it would be revealed very, very quickly. And actually, you know, uh, just judging by history, it, the last quote unquote scandal where a high official at the FDA received a bribe of $20,000 and got to, uh, you know, went to jail uh, for it is actually, was actually 1990. So that's... 30 years ago. So I guess that's pretty good. Um, so there's there's tens of thousands of people working for the FDA on, uh, and I'm familiar on the drug side. I don't know much about the food side, which I think is probably, you know, the same structure, but on, on the drug development side, I mean, any, any kind of misgiving uh, would have to be covered by thousands of people, which is very unlikely. You know, so I, I I have I have really really full confidence in the um, in in the in the integrity of this of the FDA, and I know I hear similar things from my colleagues about MHRA and the uh, EMA, which is the European Authority, as well as the different um, national authorities in the uh, in the different uh, European countries, and Japan and South Korea and so on. So. Now, I know we shouldn't give too much uh, credence to some of the conspiracy theories that uh, swirl around the Internet. Um, but 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 of course, you know, many people uh, are uh, impacted by them. And um, 
I often get forwarded messages which um, uh, which which express uh, how these vaccines may do X, Y, or Z, and and you know one dismisses most, if not all, of of these as being uh, devoid of any evidence or expertise uh, behind the the claims. Um, but but there is a last week I I had a show where I invited an, an Islamic scholar to talk about vaccines from from an Islamic perspective and a a brother he emailed me and said you know we got it all wrong and and there are nefarious purposes behind uh, the rollout of this vaccine and um, one of the uh, points he mentioned in his in his brief email was um, that the vaccine will alter our DNA I mean from your expert understanding does it tamper with our dna um so let me first comment on the on the on the islamic part of how to deal with this and then i'll, I'll get to the science then because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in 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 four places in the quran or, or more he repeats the statement give me your evidence hatu burhanakum hatu burhanakum give me your evidence so anybody who makes a claim have to, has to provide evidence, right? But who evaluates the evidence? Then there is the another ayah in, in Surah An-Nisa, uh, which is the Surah number uh, four, right? Uh, ayah number 83, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, you know, uh, kind of criticizes some human behavior by saying, and when they are afflicted by a matter of security or fear, they broadcasted it. They broadcast it. They broadcast it. They just keep, you know, they put it on their own, put it on my Facebook page. I'm going to put it on my Instagram. I'm going to put it on my Twitter. I'm going to like, okay. And if they had actually just, you know, used common sense and, and turned this back or turned this or showed this or, 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 you know, sought the opinion or sought the judgment of a Rasul, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, of course, when he was alive, that's what you went to when he is uh, not with us anymore in this world, then you go to the Sunnah. And those, those people who actually are the people of specialty in that regard. Then what happened is the people with authority, they were actually those people with knowledge, they would have been able to basically critique this so-called evidence and, and give you whether and, and you know tell you whether it's true or false. So and and I think people who violate people who, who spread these and who fall for these and then spread them, they're actually failing on these two criteria of what a, how a Muslim should, 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 uh, should behave, right? Which is look for the evidence and then give this evidence to somebody who is no, okay, 5G. All right, I'm gonna ask uh, a communication specialist, what can 5G do, right? Uh, can, you, can, you, uh, uh, can you actually put a microchip in a vaccine, right? How small that microchip should be and how many people, like hundreds of thousands or even millions of people around the world will have to cover up for that? How likely is that to actually be true? You know, I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry now for, uh, and the FDA, like for close to 30 years. And, you know, okay, so maybe I would have smelled something or seen something. I can assure you that I have never, you know, for at least that's me, right? 
But again, when people are violating the very basic principles of Islamic behavior, by the way. So there are two, uh, uh, two kinds of vaccines. Now, to be a little technical, but hopefully not too technical. There is the messenger RNA, which actually is stopped and um, is, is, is utilized in the cytoplasm of the cell, so it does not get even near the, the, the DNA. The DNA in the cell resides in the part that is called the nucleus of the cell. This is the center, the command center of the cell. So the messenger RNA, the capsule is digested, and then the messenger RNA is released, and then it does its business in the, uh, in the cytoplasm. Now, the Oxford-AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, which is loaded within a, an, an inactive virus or a modified virus, has to go into the nucleus. So it goes actually with close to the DNA, right? And there is so far no evidence that it actually can alter the DNA. And the, the one, one of the principles actually that I have to um, maybe share, and I think you know, it would be beneficial is that uh, for, for companies to report a benefit, they have to have data, they have to have solid evidence. For them to report a potential uh, risk, which they are obliged to, they have to report this potential risk, whether or not they have data. So if even, if there is even the theoretical possibility of alteration of DNA, companies would have to be, would be obliged by all these regulators, you know, like I said, the tens of thousands of scientists around the world looking at this evidence to actually, oh, you know what, there is this theoretical possibility um, that it may happen and you have to report. To my knowledge, that hasn't happened. So it doesn't give me like a, a, a hundred point zero zero zero, you know, um, a percent uh, confidence, but it gets really, really close to that. I mean, the next question will probably betray my lack of scientific expertise or knowledge. Um, I, I barely, I barely passed my science GCSEs. That's the uh, the sixteen, oh. <laughs> um, the uh, the uh, qualification at the age of sixteen here in, in the UK. But uh, in a very simple way, what is a vaccine? I and mean, can you explain the whole the concept of a vaccine to me, please? Sure. Um... Have you been to through a fire drill at school? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it. That's a vaccine. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in in, in, uh, in in flying, what do you do? You go take flying lessons, and maybe the first practical lesson is going to be a simulation. So a vaccine is a is a is basically a fire drill that, but the body doesn't know that it is. So you basically you expose the body to something that looks like a virus, behaves like a virus, but it's not the virus. It cannot harm the body, but it will alert, you know, these uh, cells of the immune system, system to actually say, oh my God, there is a virus here. There is an, an attack, there's an invasion. Let us recruit all the cells and let's manufacture all the weapons, you know, a, 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 in that case, um, you know, the antibodies to actually beat this disease and so on and so forth. And this all happens in a matter of, you know, a week to two weeks to four weeks, you know, it, it depends. Um, if this was the real disease, then you're taking your chance whether who wins is the, 
is the is the is the body you know police force and army going to win against this fake invade you know this actual the actual invader or is the invader going to win but for the vaccine the this this so-called invader is fake and therefore you know uh, um, there is pretty much very little for the body to worry about in terms of of, of the the vaccine harming the person um, and all the th all the defenses are ramped up and okay they are now ready for the next uh, uh, invasion through a real invasion or real fire if it happens. Well, how how does it simulate the virus? I mean, it, does it uh, include within uh, the delivery fragments of the actual virus? So, um, immune system is again amazing creation by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Fascinating. Whoever sees it and does not believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is really blind, as is true for all the other systems in the body. But anyway, the 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 actual um, the the immune system uh, identifies chemical sequences or structural sequences in the molecule of the virus as you know, this is foreign. I need to I need to uh, I need to produce an immune response to this sequence so what you can do is uh, you know there's a, a variety of approaches one first is make the virus the actual virus the harmful virus and then inactivate it treat it chemically or radiation or something so it it's still it looks like the, the the robber or the thief or the invader but it's actually you know inactive it cannot harm you but it will still trigger the immune system uh, to respond. The other approach is um, to get a fraction of the virus. In this case, this virus, coronavirus, has a, a number of proteins around it in the outer capsule of the virus, on the outer, you know, surface of the virus. One of one of which, and the, kind of the, think of the virus as a thief, you know, and, and the thief is using a, a key to enter into your house. So that protein is the key. The S protein the so-called or the spike protein can be injected into the body in order to produce the immune response. But if you inject the S protein by itself, it's going to be chopped up and, and destroyed before it gets into the cells. And that's why you, you put some uh, uh, carrier like uh, an inactive um, virus or a, uh, an, an, a, 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 a globule of oil or something like that to get this protein into the cells. So, um, yeah, these are the two, can, and, and then it could be um, the cargo within this capsule could be a DNA and RNA, like I said, in case of Moderna and uh, BioNTech, or it could, uh, sorry, I said an RNA uh, in case of Moderna and BioNTech, or it could be a DNA as in the case with Oxford. Right, and, and earlier on, you, you mentioned, um, you, you discussed the mRNA platform, and um, my understanding is that this platform has never actually been executed in an actual live vaccine uh, again doesn't that make um, or potentially doesn't that create worries about the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine uh, I mean if, if if you look at it from a timing perspective I like I said this is a Allah's plan for this platform to be ready for this disease because you know people have been working on this for uh, like I said at least 10 to 12 years so they are working on the platform and they just did not get to uh, to test it in any other disease. And now this is the opportunity 
of this pandemic and there's going to be a lot of people volunteering and, and so on and so forth. Um, there have been companies working on uh, RNA vaccines, DNA vaccines around the world for, like I said, you know, first, I think the first publication on an RNA vaccine was made, was published in 2005, if I remember correctly. So the work has been there. It's just like these two timelines merging together, the, the production of the platform and then and the production of the sequence or the mRNA, which was very rapid because the day, I think, you know, within days of the, this, this virus discovered in China, Chinese scientists actually uh, uploaded the, the genetic, uh, the gene sequence for uh, sciences, scientists around the world to start working on the vaccine. Great. And, and this last week, we had the, uh, it, it, here in the UK, uh, they have, the government holds very regular uh, press conferences, which indeed I think happens also in the, in the States, and they bring along a number of scientific advisors. And um, there's a man by the name of Jonathan Van Tam, Professor Jonathan Van Tam. He's our deputy chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he suggested that um, there's not enough evidence that the vaccines stop transmissions, only that the vaccines prevent illnesses. Can you, can you explain that to me? Please? Sure. I mean, um, scientists have to be extremely careful when mm-hmm. they make claims of, of efficacy. Uh, so, like I said, if you if you want to make a claim of, of safety, it is enough to like of safety concern. You like you know, okay, this there's an end. There's a there's a drug that caused immunosuppression. I don't have enough evidence that my drug is going to cause immunosuppression, but I am obliged to state in the package insert that actually these two drugs are similar enough that you have to be concerned. So that on the safety side, on the efficacy side making a claim like a uh, vaccine can stop um, transmission it has to be supported by ironclad kind of data. You know, mm. you have to have data showing that a group of people vaccinated versus non-vaccinated, you know, people of comparable viral, uh, comparable, you know, situation and so on. And the transmission went down uh, with the people, uh, the group that was vaccinated. So when, when, when you know, when people say there is not, there's no evidence. So lack of evidence does not mean evidence of, of, of not happening, right? Uh, so the the hypothesis should be, as a scientist again, re, you know, starting to study this. The hypothesis should be that a vaccine will interrupt the life cycle of the virus. And therefore, when you interrupt the life cycle of the virus, then you should, you know, underline should, um, also reduce transmission. But I can never make that claim without that. And that's where we are now. Maybe in a year from now, oh, we have evidence that, you know, suggests that it does, or maybe it doesn't. But again, if you ask me what makes sense, what the hypothesis would be is that eventually we'll find out that it does uh, reduce the transmission, but we need to generate the data for it. We've we've heard that the new vari- variants of the virus are are uh, popping up uh, in in different countries. Here in the UK, we've uh, discovered a a variant which is much more transmissible than uh, uh, than the base or previous variants. Um, I mean, w- what does that mean in terms of vaccines and, and the efficacy of these vaccines? Uh, so far, the variants uh, which have been seen um, would all be 
counteracted by the vaccine because a, a variant, and, and again, I don't know the exact um, technical definition or distinction between a variant and a strain. Because when you say a variant, okay, it's still the same virus, but with some modification. Maybe, you know, this variant I think has like 15 modifications, 15 mutations or 14 mutations, as I read. And seven of these mutations are in the S protein that is uh, the target of the most vaccines. However, these mutations so far were not enough to render the vaccine ineffective. Uh, a strain, on the other hand, when we talk about, you know, the H1N1 versus the H2N9 or H1N9, you know, that's uh, the flu, you know, the influenza virus. These are very different viruses from each other. And therefore the vaccine has to include these different possibilities to be efficacious. Now, a variant is a, is, is a more subtle change. Um, whether eventually some variant is gonna come up uh, you know, and, and, and or come out and, and not be affected by the vaccine. I don't know. I mean, I'm praying not to, this is not to happen, but um, we have to just keep studying the, the genomic sequence of the vaccine. And again, the governments have done a pathetic job so far um, in the UK and in the US, um, have tested only a small percentage of all the genomic sequences of the virus, which is again, shameful. But you know, countries like I think Australia, and um, forget who else. But you know, other countries have tested up to like fifty percent, and we are just in like in the in the single digits in, in, in these two in these countries, which is shameful again because we do have the, the capability to do so. And why do we need to take two doses of this vaccine? You know, the the two doses again. The the hypothesis was that the two doses you first you get initial. Um, initial response of the immune system, but maybe uh, during the time while the immune system is still ramping up all its uh, armamentarium, you know, of weapons and all that, that the S protein um, gets digested and disappears from the body. So you need to give another fake attack, you know, another fire drill to get people, you know, to get the immune system more ready. Um, does that mean that uh, if we test a higher dose or a larger amount of the vaccine as a single dose, that it will give less protection? Don't know, but because companies have to make a decision what to study. And what do you study in your clinical trial is what gets into the label. So what they studied based on the science and based on all their assessment, you know, as, you know, very bright people, very, you know, experienced people saying, Oh, it seems like 21 days to 28 days based on antibody levels and cell production and so on may be the optimal. Did they try all permutations? Did they try all the different? No, of course not. And it's prohibitively um, expensive to do so. It would be like a, instead of a, if you want to try two doses, instead of having one control group and, uh, and, and, you know, of, of like 20,000 each, uh, one control group and one active group, then you would need to have three or four groups. So that study becomes, you know, 80,000 or 100,000 uh, individuals. So they, they had to make their judgment. Um, and, and that may, we, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised that if, you know, a couple of years down the road, you know, you can, that someone is gonna 
uh, or Pfizer were gonna was, was gonna run a study and say, oh, by the way, you can do one dose, maybe a higher dose, but it could be the same protection. I don't know. I mean, just this last week, the government announced that uh, it was going to scrap the second jab, uh, or at least delay it for another uh, three months and roll out the first jab to a greater number of people. Um, I mean, how do you view that? Is that just the evolving science? And we shouldn't really take that in a cynical way. It's just the way uh, the science is is rapidly moving on. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I think so. And and I, I, I'm, like I said, you know, I, I, I trust that these people are qualified to make uh, um, these, uh, these judgments. And there may be, uh, in a situation like a pandemic, you can make, you know, you can have some data, maybe somebody in the trial, um, you know, maybe a group of people actually delayed the dose instead of getting the second dose in 21 to 28 days, they got it, you know, two or three months later and you st- and they still mounted a good immune response. So they have to, and, and the thing about these regulators, you know, they look at, uh, at, at, you know, this data to the nth level of, of scrutiny, and they can learn some subtleties from the data, which may be helpful to make, you know, policy decisions or something like this, public health decisions. Uh, I don't know what went into this, uh, this, this uh, announcement, but I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm comfortable with their competence to do so. The scientists, sorry, not the politicians. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and immunity, how, how long is, are we meant to, will, will we be immune to, uh, to the coronavirus if once we take the vaccine? So the, the short answer is we don't know. And the, the, the slightly longer acts, you know, act, answer is immunity length or, dur- or durability, as, as we call it. Durability of, immune, of the immune response will depend on factors related to the virus and factors related to the host or the human being. The factors related to the virus is how often or how, how extensively the virus changes. You know, we talked about mutations and strains and, and, and variants and so on. If the next, may Allah protect us, if the next uh, attack of the corona virus is actually something very different, then the vaccine of the old strain, in that case would be a new strain, would not be as effective or not be as effective. So that's the virus. On the human side, um, immune response is a, is a, is a long-term, uh, first is a short-term and a long-term component, has a, a short-term and a long-term component. The short term is the formation of antibodies, which are these proteins that attack the virus. And the long term is actually managed to, to, to produce enough of the immune system cells that are capable of producing these antibodies when an attack happens you know, down the road, two years later, five years later, 10 years later. Um, so we don't know yet uh, from some very limited research on, on the previous coronaviruses, um, they have, I mean, the studies are, are not really uh, many, and they show um, antibodies and cells remaining for a couple of years or for six or seven years. So uh, really, the science is not very strong there. Uh, Allah, yani, Allah protect us, inshallah, that this uh, will, you know, would we need a booster dose? Um, well, you know, even if it's very long term, you know, you still, if you get a tetanus shot, you need to repeat it after 10 years or five years or something like that. So it's really, uh, um, you know, it's likely that we may need 
uh, booster shots, but I hope that these are not like every year. Who knows? So potentially we may be taking uh, the vaccine for the rest of our lives. And how does that link into uh, the, the discussion of herd immunity? The vaccines, oh, sorry, I, are, are we going to be taking the vaccines for the rest of our lives? Uh, if that means I get, you know, vaccinated now and then every three to five years I get a booster dose, yeah, that's not bad, right? Uh, if that means I have to be vaccinated every few months, that's, of course, that's impractical. If it means that I have to be vaccinated every year, okay, so maybe that's like the flu. Okay, we can we can maybe live with that. However, um, with with the advancement of, of the other therapies, uh, people are going to be able to make people and their doctors will be able to make you know um, their their assessment. Should I be vaccinated or should I uh, wait until if God you know Allah forbid if I get this, get the symptoms then I can go and get an infusion of antibodies and that's gonna clear my infection right away. So it's gonna be a lot more hopefully available in the, in the, in the armory, if you will, to, to deal with, the, with, with this. Uh, so vaccine is not the only answer, right? It is the major thing. It is the, the more widely applicable, but it's not the only answer. And this idea of herd immunity, the, that we can, we can sure. in effect, um, remove the virus from our society if enough people are vaccinated against it? I guess the UK tried it <laughs> for a few uh, a few months in the beginning and we know what happened. Yes. I guess uh, Sweden tried it and also they end up with a relatively high death rate. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing is, you know what, if, if uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, okay, so I, I'm, I'm uh, if you're talking about herd immunity of something that makes you sneeze and cough, and have some body aches, you know, yeah, and then you recover from it. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe buy that. Uh, uh, if, if, you, if you wait for herd immunity, which means, you know, exposing a lot of people in society that all of us or most of us are immune and don't spread the disease anymore, uh, to me, in a, in a very kind of, uh, <laughs> now we're talking about nefarious, right, but in a very nefarious way, like a, like a Darwinian kind of way, Oh, you know what? Let's kill off the, the weak among us so that, you know, let them let them die of Corona and, and then everybody else will be fine later. Uh, because Corona can will will kill the weak and the immunosuppressed and the and the susceptible. And that's ethically, I, I can never accept that. I cannot accept that. Again, I've I've heard a number of American politicians state this, uh, mostly from the Republican right, that uh, if you if you just um um, you know, qu quarantine the uh, those who are most vulnerable to this virus and the elderly, and you allow society to, uh, you know, for the virus to to spread around society. That's going to create a sense of herd immunity, but also it will protect those people who are most vulnerable. I mean, I know it's not your your specialism, but but, but what do you think of this this idea? Well, I mean, I, I really, it's, it's so unfortunate that this is, uh, this debate in the U.S. got, got politicized. And now you have, you, you have a, uh, a right wing uh, or a right, you know, uh, set of statements and principles and various versus the left, even something as simple as a, as a face mask, you know, got politicized. Um, how many, you know, I mean, this, if, if, if the, if the age, for example, of being uh, 
you know, susceptible to, to bad outcomes is, um, you know, is, is 85 or 90 years old. Maybe, okay, there's going to be a few people, maybe by nature, they are not very mobile and so on and so forth. But we're talking about the people who die from this virus. If you look at the demography of the people who died, who have died from this virus, it's not only the very elderly, it's people in, you know, in their 60s and 50s. And, and these are people who are still very productive and they're going out and they have careers. And, and you're talking about now a, a, an obesity pandemic in the US and, and, or epidemic, sorry, in the US with uh, metabolic disorders like diabetes and there's also heart disease and high cholesterol and so on in very young people. And they are at very high risk. And we look at, look at the death rate from uh, uh, the minority communities in the United States versus the, uh, you know, the privileged, uh, you know, uh, communities, uh, it, it would not be acceptable. And these are, you know, the, the irony here or, or like the kind of the, I don't want to say malice, but it really, really angers me when I say, when, when I see people talking like this, because it means that if you are a so-called essential worker, because you have to go out, for, out of your house you, and not only uh, as, a, as a, a doctor or a nurse, but as a a retail person or as a bus driver or as a custodian somewhere and uh, you are deemed essential i say you know to myself this actually people now are are treated as they are expendable not not essential workers because they are sent out there and with no with no protection and they have previous health conditions because of poor living conditions that was as the system of, of you know the systemic racism has has uh, has produced is completely unfair and makes me really angry. Dr. Hisham Abdullah, what's the worst side effect one can uh, one can get from the from taking the vaccine? The worst um, acute side effect uh, it's it's called anaphylactic shock or anaphylaxis, and that's an allergic response. It's an exaggerated allergic response, and um, there is very little by way of what we can do in terms uh, to, to predict is happening. If someone, and that's why the CDC, you know, Center of Disease um, uh, Control and, and Prevention here at the US saying, if you have any history of anaphylactic reaction to um, anything like a severe allergy to foods or, or previous uh, medicines, uh, you have to take uh, your, this, this vaccine under intense uh, medical supervision. Um, but otherwise, you know, is it possible that someone who is perfectly healthy never had an, an allergic attack before to actually have this anaphylactic, anaphylactic reaction? Yeah, that is, that is a, a possibility with, with any medication and especially with these uh, protein and big molecule-based medications, you know. So um, that's, that's the reality. That's the risk you take. And then hopefully it's going to be very rare. And um, uh, as we speak, the vaccine is slowly moving. I, I understand there's a distribution issue in, in many countries, but it's slowly moving through the vulnerable groups in the population. And at, at some stage, it would come the way of the, the general population. And um, uh, I, I suppose there there is a, a body of, of opinion in, in the community that, look, I'm under 60, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm pretty healthy. Uh, why should I take the vaccine anyway? Even if it was uh, proposed that I, I should I should take it, what what's what benefits does it bring to me? Um, and it, it's it's a legitimate question, and and it is uh, 
um, you know, like I said, there may be, there are identified risk factors and there are, there may be risk factors that are not clear or actually someone may have a condition they don't know about. Okay, I'm perfectly healthy, right? And I'm, I'm fine and all that. And then they get the virus and, you know, two weeks later, they're, they're either severely ill and on a ventilator or dead. And there have been these, uh, uh, the, these cases. Um, alhamdulillah, they are you know, few and far between, but there is nothing to actually assure me uh, um, 100% that this is not going to happen to me. So if I want to, uh, okay, I'm young and I'm healthy. I have, you know, my, my last physical uh, was, was great. I don't have any health issues. Okay, alhamdulillah, that's great. But do you want to take the chance? And I'm not saying, you know, do it or don't do it. I'm saying, do you want to take the chance of feeling like you're hit by a train and you're bedridden for, you know, uh, many days or even risk something uh, permanent damage to your organs uh, versus taking the vaccine? It's a, it's a very important judgment and call, and, and people are going to have to make this call, uh, um, you know, themselves and, and, and their doctors. Now, if the vaccine, turns out to actually help transmission, then I would say to, you know, I would kind of revert back to Islamic principles and say, if I know that I can protect somebody by doing something that is of minimal risk to me, then I'm actually Islamically obliged to do it. But if so, I mean, this is an if, right? Of when, hopefully, when the vaccine is shown to prevent transmission, it becomes a kind of a religious obligation to, to actually take it so that you're not harming others. Finally, Dr. Hisham Abdullah, it, it's really been a fascinating discussion today. And um, you're a Muslim scientist and, you know, you've uh, dealt with uh, pharmaceuticals for some time and you've seen the processes uh, that um, uh, that uh, you've, you've explained actually today, the, the processes of the human body and biology, you know, something I missed in, in my original science lessons. And you've... Uh, You've explained uh, how vaccines work, and and many Western scientists uh, would comment that um, doesn't this question uh, the very need for a creator um, from from a number of perspectives? I mean, they, they would argue that um, how can you believe in a creator uh, if um, there is a prevalence of diseases? I mean, we have a a rather pompous uh, actor here in the UK, Stephen Fry, and he once commented that the best argument against God's existence is bone cancer in children. And I suppose the point he was making was that there are these biological deficiencies which do not point to a, a grand designer. I mean, how as a, as a Muslim scientist do you square your Islamic beliefs with, um, uh, with what you know of science and, and biology and, and, and viruses and vaccines? You know, when... when when people have no belief and have no faith in or, or they don't believe in the hereafter and they're trying to make sense and have kind of a, a very kind of watertight argument and, and, and worldview about this dunya only, this life of this world only, they will go insane. They will go, they will be confused. I can never make sense of this life without believing in the hereafter. I've said many times to, you know, my, my friends and family, if it weren't for believing in the akhira or the hereafter, I would have gone insane a long time. Because if you're trying to, to explain everything 
just based on this minute duration that we're spending on this earth, then of course you're gonna have the natural disasters and you have to have the diseases and you have the uh, genomic anomalies and you have the, you know, all the, 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 um, the injustice and the racism and, and all that. And you say, how can God be there if he is not taking care of us? Yeah, well, when, when, you, when you only think about this, this very kind of a blip of, of, of the time that we are staying on this earth, you won't be able to make sense of what's happening. So that's that's about these, the, you know, what these the scientists, you know, and, and uh, they're, they're many of them, they actually say, oh, I don't need the creator to explain everything. I don't need a creator to do this and, 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 and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, subhanAllah, I mean, to me, someone who is looking up in the skies or someone who's looking into the human body and or the, the you know, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not believing in Allah is that person is blind. I have no idea, I have no, I don't care how many Nobel Prizes they've won or how many PhDs they carry, how many, whatever, I mean, qualifications. If they don't see the creator in the creation, they are blind. That is my uh, uh, my answer to them. And if if they are saying there is no creator, and the, I mean, or if there is a, a creator, but there's only, I mean, even this is a big topic in philosophy, right? That's actually, uh, which one comes first? Do you believe in a creator and therefore it's essential to believe in a hereafter? Or do you believe in a hereafter and therefore it's essential to believe in a creator? Because these two go together. Like you cannot distinguish them. And, and, and I'm, to me getting into an argument with these people just based on what happens in life, in this life, is, is, is futile. We have to say, you know what, let's discuss the fact that uh, uh, this life is not all there is. And therefore, we can actually have common premises to have our discussion. Because without that, we don't have any common ground for discussion, unfortunately. Actually, I have one last question, Dr. Hisham. Uh, you spoke earlier about the need to refer to people of expertise. Uh, but uh, what, if, uh, what is the role of a, uh, someone who doesn't have that level of expertise, but uh, is worried about uh, what they hear on in the press and and uh, what they hear from uh, counter experts, right? So often it's the case that uh, one group of doctors say X and another group of doctors say Y. How does one um, uh, come to an accurate understanding uh, to assess uh, the veracity of a claim made by one expert or another expert? Um, because we can't judge uh, the scientific material. So how does how does the layman uh, uh, apply his thought and his thinking uh, to these matters? I think you know what the uh, the scholars uh, in, in in fiqh uh, and in, in say the ishtihad, you know the 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 the, the 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 you know the scrutiny of a layperson should be focused around whom to trust, like you know. If, if someone has very good reputation and integrity and they seem to be accepted by, you know, let, let's, let's say just, you know, for if I, if I look at somebody like uh, Anthony Fauci, for example, right? Um, this guy literally wrote the book of medicine, right? He's, editing, he's an editor of one of the classic, one of the editors, I should say, one of the classic texts in book. In, in, in a textbook in, in medicine and has done all this work in you know, over 40 years and has served so many. Okay, that's something that as a lay person, you know what, I look at this guy and say, I'm gonna trust this guy when it comes to the coronavirus business. 
And maybe there's, it, it cannot be just one. It can be like 10 people. I, I really trust to listen to them. So my, then it becomes my ishtihad as a person is to find, you know, okay, I know this, this uh, scholar so-and-so or, or mufti so-and-so somewhere or, you know, a group of, a council of, 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 of ulama or so that I really, you know, as, as a lay person, I think is, uh, it's fair to say that, uh, um, yes, we should uh, trust the people of expertise that have shown not to be sellouts or not to try to please, you know, any kind of uh, tyrant or any kind of government or even please the, the masses. And at the same time, you know, trying to educate ourselves. Dr. Hisham Abdullah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you for your work and uh, for answering our questions today. Jazakallah khair. The pleasure is all mine and, and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us all and benefit us from what we say and what we hear, inshallah.